please be seated. And as you take your seat, you can open with me to Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we've been in a series of messages through uh, the letter of Romans, and we find ourselves this morning in chapter 5 as we finish up verses 6 through 11. Last week I delivered a message on verses 1 through 5 about the benefits of our redemption, and I wanted to save uh, these final verses, verses 6 through 11 of that first half of the chapter, uh, for this morning, particularly because we're having uh, communion together. Now, you remember last week we ended with verse 5, which states, The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. One of the benefits of our redemption in Christ is the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit, according to Paul, communicates and mediates the presence of Christ in general, and particularly the love of Christ. And so what I believe Paul does in verses 6 to 11 is he goes on to explore this love. In fact, you might put it this way. Paul is going to unfold for us, I believe, uh, the various dimensions of God's love for us in these latter verses in the first half of Romans chapter so I'd like to spend a few moments this morning looking at these marvelous verses and meditating on the dimensions of God's love for us before we come to the Lord's table. I'd like to mention four things. Number one, the depth of God's love for us in verses 6 through 8. Number two, the length of God's love for us in verse 9. Number three, the breadth of God's love for us in verse 10. And number four, the height of God's love for us in verse 11. But before we dig in to study God's Word, let's pray and ask His blessing upon us. Lord, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in Thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, keep the enemy from stealing the precious seed that might be planted in the hearts and lives of these, Your children today. Bless us all, Lord, at the end of the service, that we may say truly, what a great God. Lord, bless us to that end now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice the depth of God's love. And I believe we see that in verses 6 through 8, the depth of God's love. Or I might put it this way, the greatness of the lover and the unworthiness of the loved one. How do we measure the greatness of God, the depth of God's love, by the greatness of the lover and the unworthiness of the loved one? Paul describes us in verse 6 as helpless. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In fact, the words, at just the right time, mean at the very time when we were still powerless, when we were still helpless. At that point, Christ died for us. He did not wait for us to make the first step back toward Him. He intervened in an act of pure grace to provide a way for us to come back. And so Christ died for the ungodly. Now look at verse 7. Paul outlines how God's love goes far beyond human calculation. 
He says in verse 7, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. People who are level-headed and sensible appreciate and applaud a righteous man, generally speaking. But they would hardly die for such a man. As much as we might admire somebody, as much as we might follow somebody, scarcely say that we would die for them. And then Paul goes down a notch from the righteous man to the good man, and he makes it clear once again that even this man lacks an advocate who would die for him. And so after this gradation of people that ordinarily no one would die for, Look at verse 8. After providing that human love is not prepared to die for a righteous man or even a good man, Paul shocks us with this next verse. Verse 8. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the magnitude, the depth of God's love for us. We were not righteous and are not righteous in and of ourselves. We were not good, and we are not good still in and of ourselves. We are sinners. And yet this is the group that the Lord Jesus came to save. We read it in Luke chapter 5, verses 29-32, our gospel reading this morning. As they criticized Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus said, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to save the weak, the humble, the sick. He came to save those who are ungodly. He came to save those who were helpless in their sins. And brothers and sisters, that's the first thing we have to acknowledge if we're going to be Christians, that we are helpless, and that Christ comes to us right in the midst of our need. I can't help but think about Cinderella. You know, our kids, and they're growing up, they always love various movies. Back in that time, Walt Disney movies of Cinderella. My oldest daughter, that was her favorite. So I don't know how many times I watched Cinderella. It's like millions of times. It's a timeless classic that touches our emotions deeply. Why is that? Because of the greatness of the prince and the lowly, unworthy object of his affections. You know the story. Young Cinderella lives in a house with her mean stepmother and her, uh, well, less than comely uh, stepsisters. And they have a lot to think about themselves. They have a very high opinion of themselves. And all three of them do their very best to keep Cinderella out of the light of day. When she finally gets the opportunity to go to the ball, they engineer it so that she can't go. And so she is far, far away from the prince. But as fortune would have it, she is unable to go. And the prince falls in love with her. And then he goes to great lengths all the way through the city, taking that slipper that fell off to find the object of his affections. She's so far away from him and so low in terms of status. But the prince comes anyway. And he takes her to himself. Reminds me of the words 
in the hymn, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. That's what the Lord Jesus did. You want to know the depth of God's love? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Now a second dimension is the length of God's love. Look carefully at verse 9 with me. Paul says much more. In fact, he says it again in verse 10. Much more then, having now been justified by our blood, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. He might put it this way. How far the lover will go to reach the loved one. It goes beyond our being simply justified in his sight. Paul makes it clear in this verse that we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now this is important because it underscores the necessity of being justified before a holy God. The wrath of God is a very unpopular doctrine in and amongst the world. And sadly, in many circles of Christians these days, it's just as unpopular. And that's a pity. Not that we need to focus all the time on the wrath of God. But like any other theme in Scripture, we need to give it due diligence. The reality of God's wrath is firmly grounded throughout sacred Scripture. And you see, to ignore God's wrath is to make light of the gravity of sin. To ignore God's wrath is to cheapen the gospel message. To ignore God's wrath is to posture God's love for us as nothing but sentimental and superficial. This is the very thing that Satan sought to get Jesus to do, namely to avoid the cross and thus the wrath of God. But Jesus would not do it. He said on one occasion, the cup that the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And thankfully for us, Christ drank the full cup of God's wrath when he died on the cross. In fact, the Bible makes it clear he drank it down to its dregs. Christ was willing to die for us as our substitute, but his love went far beyond the visible act of crucifixion. It was the invisible realm where he drank the cup of the Father's wrath for your sins and mine. And all the Father's punishment was poured out for our sins. He went the full measure to redeem us from our sins. And now we are no longer the target for God's wrath and fury, which will be poured out against all those who reject such a great salvation. See, this is the whole point of Christ becoming incarnate. He came as a substitute for us. He died in our place. And he didn't just die for sentimental reasons. When he died, he drank the cup of the Father's wrath. There's a beautiful picture, somewhat of this, in Jeremiah 30, our Old Testament reading this morning. If you look at verses 21 and 22, after the Lord gives this beautiful picture of redemption from exile, of bringing God's people back from exile, look what he says in 21 and 22. Their leaders shall be one of them. And the ruler shall come forth from their midst, and I will bring him near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. 
Who would dare to approach me? Well, the Lord Jesus did on your behalf and mine. He came before the Father as our substitute. And He died on the Roman cross, but as He died, He drank the full cup of God's wrath against your sins and mine so that you are no longer the target of God's wrath. You're actually an object of His love and grace. That is the length of God's love. Now look at a third thing, the breadth of God's love in verse 10. Paul goes on in verse 10, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. I love this statement because it reminds me of the breadth, or we might say the fullness of God's love for me and all sinners who embrace His Son, Jesus Christ. What do you mean, John? Well, Christ not only died in our place and drank the cup of the Father's wrath, but He also rose again from the dead. And He lives forever with what the writer of Hebrews calls an indestructible life. Let those words sink in. Here, Paul makes it clear that Christ has not only saved us by His death, He is saving us by His life. His resurrected life. Why is that? Because He lives inside of every believer. He lives in you if you know and love Christ. He lives in me. And the Bible says this over and over and over again. Why? Because it's so hard for us in this realm to accept this spiritual reality by faith. That Christ actually lives in me by His Spirit. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, says Paul. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 4.19, he says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Romans 8.10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Colossians 1.27, The riches of the glory of this mystery among you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man is in Christ... He is a new creature. Why? Because Christ is in him. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. That's the breadth of God's love. He doesn't just save us out of hell and take us to heaven. He lives inside of us. That is salvation to the uttermost. And when we reckon ourselves dead and we believe this truth, that the indestructible life of Christ lives in us. Now we find spiritual strength and power to live the Christian life. Well, that is the length and the depth and the height, excuse me, the breadth of God's love, finally the height of God's love. Look at verse 11. I think sometimes you can mull over some things that are so great you just get tired. <laughs> I think that's where Paul is at. He lives in verse 11, and not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ for whom we have now received the reconciliation. You know, last week we studied verses 1-5, through five. we saw Paul rejoicing, and that's another word for exulting or boasting in a number of things throughout verses 1-5. through five. 
Last week we saw Paul rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And he says, we rejoice in our tribulations. Now Paul has reached the ceiling of his rejoicing and boasting, so he concludes by simply saying, we exalt or we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you reach the height of God's love for you when you go beyond all the things that he has given you and all the things that he has done for you, and you simply pause and rejoice in him. Plus nothing. Plus nothing. And that's where Paul is at. And that's where we should be. Maybe you feel unloved this morning. Perhaps you feel like God has abandoned you or left you. Maybe you're confused. And you've never really noticed the depth and the length and the breadth of God's love for you. But it is real. And it is present. And the Lord God Almighty asks us to embrace this great love by faith. This is why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. I pray that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's like the tune or the verse of the hymn, Amazing Love, How Can It Be? Thou, might God, shouldst die for me. I have a friend who has another very good friend who wanted to communicate his love to this brother. And one day, the friend in question opened the front door, and there was a big red bucket sitting on the front porch. And it didn't have anything in it. But it had a little sign on the front of it. And he said to his friend, This is a big bucket of love. He picked it up and he looked on the bottom and he says, now, please return the bucket when you're finished with all the love inside. (laughs) And he chuckled. But he realized that it wasn't a matter of the contents of the bucket. It was a matter of the one who gave that bucket to him. The love was expressed. Folks, when we start thinking Stop thinking about all the little goodies and the things that God gives to us and His many, many kindnesses through the day. And we take a look at the big thing Himself that He has given Himself to His wayward children. That's the height of God's love for us. May we experience that love afresh and anew as we commune with our Lord this morning. And if you have never experienced this kind of love, I want to invite you to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life and trust Him and watch Him come into your life and begin to change you and mold you into His image. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank You for Your wonderful, infallible, and errant Father, we thank you that you continue to speak in this day and time through your word as we read it and as we meditate on it. And as your Holy Spirit moves within our hearts and our minds and lives, as you communicate your steadfast, unfathomable love 
Lord, you challenge us to know the love of Christ, which passes all comprehension. And Lord, we pray that we'd spend the rest of our lives trying to comprehend the incomprehensible. And in the meantime, that we would love each other as you have loved us. And I pray that there's one or two here this morning that need a fresh glimpse of your great love, that, Lord, you would bestow it and bring them to yourself. Do all these things and more, Lord, as we think about your great, great love for our lives. And we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.